Hi, I'm Pastor Jason from Yokine Baptist Church, and this is a sermon recorded at one of our Sunday morning services. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God. Enjoy. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, it's an old favourite. Well, you know, Forrest Gump arrived at the pearly gates one day and uh, Peter said to him, you know, Forrest, this place is getting pretty full, so we've got an entrance exam. Um, I'm going to ask you three questions. And he asked him, okay, first question, what days of the week began with the letter T? And Forrest thinks and he says, today and tomorrow. Oh, well, it's not the answer I was looking for, says Peter, but it'll do. So he says, okay, I'm going to ask you another one. How many seconds are there in a year? That's a bit of a big maths question, isn't it? And Forrest thinks about it and he says, "Uh, 12. Forrest, where did you get that from? Well, 2nd of January, 2nd of February, 2nd, and so on. So Peter says, well, I can't fault you, I can't fault you. All right, what's the last one? Can you tell me God's first name? And Forrest says, oh, that's really easy. It's Andy. Andy, says Peter, where do you get that from? Oh, it's, it's from this wonderful hymn. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. Andy tells me I'm his own. So Forrest opens, so Peter opens the gate, says, okay, Forrest, run, Forrest, run. So there we go. That's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful hymn. One of the ones that I love. Uh, and you know, it starts by saying, I come to the garden alone. And it's talking about a garden where we meet God. The hymn writer was actually inspired by John chapter 20. And I think, oh, where's a garden in John chapter 20? Well, Jesus' tomb was in a garden. And John chapter 20 speaks of the time when the disciples came to the tomb and found it empty. And when Mary Magdalene stood outside there wondering what in the world had happened to her master's body, the Lord appeared to her and she mistook him for a gardener. And that was the inspiration for this hymn. So this morning I want to focus... And uh, I'm, I'm just breaking into Timothy for a couple of weeks. So this week we've got, um, I'm, I want to speak about some gardens. All right. And then next week we've got our combined communion service with the Sudanese congregation. And then we'll go back and finish the last two weeks of Timothy. So this morning I want to focus on some of the king's gardens. Now throughout history, kings have always enjoyed having beautiful gardens. Uh, you might know that Margaret and I went to uh, England earlier this year. And we saw a number of gardens. Uh, These photos here are from Hampton Court Palace, uh, which was the palace for Henry VIII. And there are some just beautiful gardens, and these are just a bare fraction of them. I mean, the gardens go for acres and acres and acres. It's just, or should I say hectares and hectares? I don't know. I don't even know how you measure a hectare. You know, they're just absolutely stunning. But I'm not talking about Henry VIII's gardens. The king I'm talking about is the one that Isaiah talked about. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. 
I'm talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I'm talking about our wonderful Creator God. And so today, I want to look at the gardens that God plants. And we got a picture of that this morning, a, a, a brief description of this paradise, this garden that was absolutely wonderful this morning. And so I want to look at how we lost paradise, but then how we get it back. Cool. All right, in the passage uh, Cynthia read to us, it comes from right near the beginning of the, of the scripture. Now you might recall last week we, we looked at um, Simchat Torah, which is the, uh, yeah, you try spelling that one out, <laughs> which is uh, the Hebrew words meaning rejoicing in the Torah or rejoicing in the scripture. And so the concept was that last week we read the, the last passage in scripture, so we finished our annual reading of going all the way through the Bible, and then today we start again at Genesis and start that process all over again because we never finish reading the word of God. Now, Margaret and I saw some amazing gardens in England. You know, we saw 2,000-year-old trees. We saw, we saw the oldest grapevine in existence. We saw some incredible gardens. And yet, the Garden of Eden is described to us as something more magnificent, something that we have never seen before. But what made it so special? What was so unique about this garden in Eden? Well, when you start looking at the, the first chapter of Genesis, um, how did God create things? What did what, anyone know? What did God do to create things? Anyone? He spoke. He spoke. He said, let there be light. Let there be plants. Let there be animals. He spoke and it happened. But then when it gets into this passage, to this particular garden, the scripture that Cynthia read to us says that God planted the garden. It's as if God got down on his hands and knees and he did the work for us. Just in the same way that the creation of man was different to the creation of everything else, where it was God getting down on his hands and knees. And so Genesis is trying to describe a picture for us of the fact that something unique is happening here. Something unique, that mankind is unique in all of creation and that God himself put us in this special place, this special place of paradise, a special place where they were supposed to live forever. But there's, a, um, there's another thing that makes this garden particularly special it's that God walked with his people in the garden. These people enjoyed the presence of God. He didn't just plant the garden and say, there you go, and I'm off. God walked with them. And, that, and that's a beautiful, beautiful picture, isn't it, of God being so close and intimate with humans. But the key message of these first few chapters of uh, Genesis and not to give us a, a complete understanding of what happened back then and a complete understanding of, of what it might have been like, the first three chapters of Genesis really tell us a terrible tale. They tell us that we were created for perfection, but we lost it. They tell us that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. 
He only gave them one thing that they couldn't do, and that was to eat from one tree. But they didn't want to listen to God. They wanted to listen to someone else. And so they committed, so sin entered the world. And from that point on, from that point on, mankind experiences death. We experience a separation from God. And so it ruined their relationship with God. It ruined their relationship with nature. It ruined their relationship with each other. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a movie called Dead Man Walking. And uh, it's about uh, prisoners on death row. Right? They're, they're in jail in a special ward awaiting their uh, execution. And there's, ex- there's this expression when it's time for the execution, when they come out of their cell and they start walking towards the room where they're going to be executed. And, that, and at that point, they call out, dead man walking. You know? They're already dead. Their body just hasn't given up yet. Mankind experienced death and separation from God. And so we are like those dead men walking. We face an eternity without him, even if we don't know it. And so from that point on, humanity, though, has strived to get back to that sense of paradise. Uh, There's a wonderful passage in Psalm 84 that says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns. It even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. You know, anyone living today knows that this world has some serious problems. People yearn for something better. You know, that's why people become addicted to alcohol or to drugs or to pleasure. They're looking for something that will fill that hole. That's why people fall into the traps that cults set for them. Because they come along and they promise, we're going to fill, we're going to fill that hole. We're going to, we're going to make all your life perfect. We're going to satisfy every need in your heart. We were created for paradise and paradise has been lost to us. So what's the remedy? How can that paradise be regained? How can we walk with God once again? So to do that, I want to look at another of the king's gardens. This is one that he waters with his blood and his sweat. And you could probably guess which garden I'm talking about. Who knows which garden I'm going to go to now? The Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the little photo down the bottom left uh, is a photo of what that garden looks like today, 2,000 years later. By all accounts, Gethsemane was a lovely place. It was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. It was just across the valley from Jerusalem. It was less than a 15 minutes walk from the temple itself. There are a number of olive trees there and eight of them are nearly a thousand years old. And it's believed that they, I mean, the original olive trees that would have been there when Jesus was there, uh, was there are not there anymore, but these have grown from, from the cuttings. They've come from those same ones. Uh, there was an oil press where they pressed the olive oil. And in fact, that's the ne- meaning of the word Gethsemane. It basically means olive press. So Luke chapter 22 tells us, 
Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, it was a beautiful garden Jesus found himself in, but it wasn't a perfect garden. Here in this garden, they still had to tend the weeds. They still had to work around the rocks. They still had to put work in. It wasn't a perfect garden. And it's because it's not the garden itself that is so special. Just like Eden, what makes this garden so special is the presence of Jesus there. It was here in Gethsemane that our paradise is regained to us. It's here that Jesus surrendered himself to what was going to happen on the cross. Here that he said, Father, do your will. Here he committed himself to die the death that we are owed. We're the ones who are separated from God. We're the ones who should take the penalty of death. And yet Jesus willingly took it on our behalf. Here in the garden, Jesus took on and overcame the temptation that Adam and Eve couldn't overcome. He chose obedience over self-gratification. And so it was here in the garden that Jesus became like those prisoners. He became the dead man walking on our behalf. And within 24 hours, Jesus would have gone to die on the cross for our sin. And so because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we no longer need to work to regain our place in that paradise. See, the answer to satisfying life's hungers is not alcohol, it's not drugs, it's not pleasure, it's not striving to perform some sort of religious act, you know, so that we'll make God happy with us. It's not, a, not obtaining some sort of secret knowledge, you know, that will unlock the door to eternity. It's simply to accept what Jesus has already done on our behalf. In Ephesians, Paul puts it like this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace that are expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God. Paradise is not something we earn. It's not something we win the right to. Just like the original garden, paradise is a gift that God gives to us. And he does it with his own hands. 
In the first case, it was the hands of God planting the garden. In the second place, it was the hands of Jesus nailed to that cross. So we all know the world's not perfect and we all, we're all aware of the hardships that we face every day. We all know that we've lost paradise and we, and we look forward to a time when we have paradise with God again. And so in Revelation, uh, John says, whoever has hears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the promise in the last book of the Bible is to take us back to the paradise we had in the first book of the Bible. See, the world itself that we live in is like a dead man walking. Paul says that this world in its present form is passing away. This world with all its troubles, with all its trials, with all its faults and flaws and with all that people have done to it, it's passing away. There is a new earth, a new paradise that awaits us. And so the ultimate fulfillment of these promises is something that is yet to happen, something we look forward to. But since Jesus died and rose again, since the kingdom of God came to this earth in the person of Christ, we can experience glimpses of that paradise right now. Now, it's probably a subject of a whole other sermon, so I'm not going to start a new sermon now. But the New Testament talks about experienced glimpses of that paradise in our lives right now. It talks about us experiencing the fruit of God's Holy Spirit within. It talks about having joy even in the middle of suffering. It talks about having victory in all things. Now we have to wait until we're in God's presence to fully experience all that we have coming to us. But we can still experience a taste of that paradise, of that garden in our lives right now. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives that shows us people don't have to turn to eternal, external vices like we talked about before. They don't have to turn to other things to find their satisfaction and fulfillment in life. They don't have to turn to, to drugs or whatever to, to fill the hole within them. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives that can help us to experience love and joy and peace. Our hunger for paradise can be satisfied by the working of God's Spirit himself living within us. You know, there's another passage um, in, in Ephesians where Paul talks about the power of God that is within us. And he uses a whole bunch of Greek words, which I'm sure Tash is going to love spelling out. And he uses words like ballow, which is where we get the word ballistic. It means to throw, but like a ballistic missile. But he adds something to the beginning of it. He says hyperballow, which means above and beyond. You know, like me when I get hyperactive. 
And then he talks about this, he uses this word called megathon. Now you've heard the word mega before. Mega churches, megabytes on our computer. It just means huge, it's big. And he talks about this. So Paul talks about this. You're going to love this one. Hyperballistic megathonic power. That's what we have. Try spelling that one. Yeah. And then he goes on and says, this is the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. That's the power that we have within us. That's how we can live victorious lives. That's how we can live lives of fulfillment and peace and joy, no matter what the world throws at us. That is our taste of the paradise to come. You know, we've got an amazing, amazing garden down here at, at uh, Yokine. And you don't need a shovel in your hand to enjoy it. You can wander around in the garden and imagine what must it have been like in the Garden of Eden. Or you can imagine what glory awaits us in the presence of God. You can sit in quietness and you can think, what was it like for Jesus as he sat in that garden, as he surrendered to the will of God for us? You can use the garden as a way just to sit and reflect on your relationship with him and allow God to fill you with the peace and joy that only he can give. So we're going to sing a song in a few minutes and um, cross fingers. Uh, it'll all work because we're going to have to do it on, uh, on computer. Um, and it's called In the Garden. And the chorus goes like this. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, tarry just means wait, none other has ever known. Think about those words as you sing them. Think about the paradise that we lost, but that we can look forward to again in the kingdom of God. Allow your heart to become that garden for the king within you. Allow the king to tend you and and help you to grow, to fill you with the gifts of his Holy Spirit. Allow him to root out the weeds of of sin and and the things in our life that when we try and do it all on our own strength, allow God to take all that away. And if you do that, you can experience the incredible joy that only comes from being in the company of the great gardener, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. We know there's nothing that we can do or say that can earn us the right to be in the presence of the Almighty God. And so we are grateful, Lord, that not only are you mighty, you are loving. And that through Jesus, you have opened the way for us to know you personally. For us to experience a taste of the paradise that is to come. And so, Lord, we say thank you for your love. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Lord, thank you that you have done the work required to open up the way to paradise for us. Lord, if there's anyone out here today who is maybe struggling, who doesn't know what it means to truly walk with you, 
I ask that you will speak to their hearts this morning. Call them into your kingdom, Lord. Draw them to you. Let them know you are a loving God who wants to give a gift of salvation. And help us, Lord, never to get, never to get complacent about this gift that we've been given, but to constantly be grateful for it, to rejoice in it, to constantly be willing to share it with others. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves afresh to you. We say, Lord, be the gardener of our souls. Lord, take away the things that shouldn't be there and plant in the things that should. Continually fill us with your spirit that we can walk in all the gifts that you promise us. Lord, that we can have all the fruit in our lives like joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness. Lord, we want to bloom for you. And we pray, Lord, that in doing so that others will look at our life and they too will get a glimpse of what it means to be in the presence of the King of Kings. So we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those that have donated to us online, enabling us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. Click the link in the description or visit yokinebaptist.church to find out other ways you can support us. If you enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.